The word of God from John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is God's word given for our good. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Thank you, Chris. You may be seated. I'm going to invite Ben up. Now, this morning, we have the privilege of hearing from both an intern and a staffer. Ben will be preaching. And you guys, listen, it took me 100 sermons before I was worth listening to. And I am betting on sermon one, we are going to just really feast on God's word together. Ben, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I'm going to pray for you. Ben asked if he could hide behind the big pulpit. So y'all be kind to him today. Uh, Let me pray for you, Ben, and then don't screw this up. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here we go. Lord, thank you for Ben. Thank you for all the time that he's put into you studying and loving this church enough to study your word and feed us. Uh, Lord, would you prepare all of our hearts to learn from you? And uh, we want to grow and we want to change. And so may your word through the preaching uh, do business with us. May it unsettle us. May it change us. May it transform us. And we pray this all to the glory of Jesus. Amen. All right, Ben. Good morning. All right. Just making sure it's there. It is my great privilege to get you, to bring you uh, reflections on the word today. Uh, Again, my name is Ben. If you don't know me, I am a divinity student, master of divinity student at Denver Seminary. I'm also the youth coordinator for our church. Shout out to the youth group. See you after church. And most importantly, I'm best known for being married to the amazing and wonderful Stephanie. I felt obligated to mention the Super Bowl or whatever, so I want to get that out of the way and say they are not world champs of anything. They are just NFL champs. And if you don't believe me, just ask an Olympian. Speaking of the world, COVID happened. Uh, Many people during lockdown started a new hobby or accelerated an existing one. I imagine some of you did this. 
Uh, for me, uh, I accelerated my gardening obsession. Uh, gardening was already a part of my life and in my blood because all my German ancestors were farmers, and I just spent a lot more time in the garden during COVID. I watched hours and hours of YouTube videos, and I got deeper and deeper uh, into the art and science of it. And I realized how deep I was getting one day. Uh, we were having our guys small group, and we were all answering the question, you know, what are you learning about in life right now? And some guys are talking about what lessons God is teaching them, how they're growing. Then I jumped in and said, well, I'm learning about soil levels of nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium. I got blank stares. And then someone said, wow, you are deep. You see, for me, it, was, it felt normal to think that deeply about plant life. Uh, it might not be for you, uh, but Jesus' disciples were steeped in agrarian culture. They would instinctively understand plant life in a way many of us do not. So if you're new with us this morning, uh, we are in a sermon series on the I Am statements of Jesus in John, and the theme is to see how Jesus' self-understanding informs how we think about and how we follow him. And in this particular passage that we just heard, Jesus presents this vine image, and the disciples would get it. Jesus alone is the source of life, and they need to be connected to him. As Ronnie mentioned last week, uh, in talking about Jesus as the exclusive way in John 14, uh, our passage today is also a part of that same conversation with the disciples around the Last Supper. And Jesus speaks about how he will soon be betrayed, be crucified, and depart them. Naturally, the disciples are confused, they're scared, they're uncertain. So Jesus tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. And he goes on to encourage and comfort them. And Jesus continues to encourage and comfort them with these very words from John 15. And that's what I want for us today. Uh, but why should we care about these words to the disciples way back then? We should care uh, because Jesus is saying we are all branches and trying to draw life from something. We're planted into something. So the stakes are high for what we plant ourselves in. It's the vital difference between a garden or a desert, life versus death, joy versus drudgery. Whatever you're planted in matters. And Jesus is saying he is the only true source of life where we must be planted. These are high stakes. But we often, if you're like me, we fail to recognize or acknowledge them. Uh, we find Jesus interesting, maybe even helpful, uh, but we don't think life and death are on the line. As modern Denverites, we're not often saying we are dying if we are disconnected from Jesus. We're not often saying that Without Jesus, we or anyone are less full of life. 
But those are the exact stakes Jesus presents in this passage. So we need help to unpack Jesus as the true vine, the only source of life. And Jesus directs us in three parts of this analogy. Uh, So for you note-takers, there'll be three points. The benefits, the consequences, and the blessings. Let's dive into the benefits. And these are benefits of how God tends to us by Jesus the vine. And I want to give a warning up front that this point is a good bit longer than the others, so fair warning to that. Uh, We will start by looking at the first benefit, which is fruit. But what is the spiritual concept of fruit? And there are two types of biblical fruit for us uh, to consider. So in Psalm 80, Israel is described as a vine transplanted by God from Egypt into the promised land. Uh, Then the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 5 says that God comes back and expected the vineyard to yield sweet fruit, justice, and righteousness. But instead, God finds bitter, wild grapes, social injustice, and selfish living. This is what we might call communal fruit. Love for neighbor, justice for the poor, communal flourishing under the law. So that's communal fruit. Another kind of fruit is personal character change. So Paul describes something like this in Galatians 5 when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That fruit includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the ideas of personal fruit. So we have personal and communal fruit. And both of these ideas of fruit align with what Jesus has in mind. Just look at verses 11 and 12 again. In verse 11, personal fruit of joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Uh, And then verse 12, communal fruit. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So this is at least one summary idea of fruit that Jesus has in mind, experiencing joy and loving neighbor, personal and communal. And if you're like me, you really long for this kind of fruit in your life. This is the fruit we want. We want to be more than we are, to be more full of life. Uh, But we know this does not happen automatically. Joy and love for neighbor doesn't just spring out of the ground in us. It's not how it works. So how does this fruit actually materialize in us? And so I came up with this summary sentence of how from the text. And it is, we bear more fruit by the pruning of the master vine dresser, and we are cleaned to abide in him. Uh, We're going to keep breaking this down. I'm going to repeat it again. We bear more fruit by the pruning of the master vine dresser, and we are cleaned to abide in him. So let me first tell you in this second benefit about why being pruned by the master vine dresser is good and brings life. Uh, Look now at verses uh, one and two with me. 
Jesus says, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We don't naturally hear the word pruning and think of it as desirable. Uh, We think it sounds painful, maybe a little weird. But this is what a lot of amateur gardeners miss. Pruning is essential. Pruning allows you to grow more food, more fruit. And the whole purpose of it is cutting away inessential or dead parts to focus on energy on important parts, fruit. And this is a big part, Jesus is saying, of how we grow in this communal and personal fruit that we desire. Because we have the benefit not just of being pruned, but a master pruner. The God of the universe is paying careful attention to you to make you more than what you are right now. Not for self-improvement's sake, but for his glory. Taking away things, cutting them out, and helping you to say no to things in order to say yes to more life-filled, fruit-filled things. If Jesus is the only source of life, then pruning not Jesus things brings more life, not less. Pruning doesn't lessen our life, it brings more. So pruning is a benefit because the master vine dresser brings more life and fruit in us. So that is the second benefit. Then our third benefit of life in Jesus the vine is that we are cleaned and can abide in him. Look at verse 3 with me. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, in English, we don't see this, but this word clean is just another form of the word prune. Uh, To clean a plant is to prune it. So in other words, Jesus just told the disciples, you have already been pruned significantly. And we have to note in this that Jesus is the one saying he's doing the heavy lifting in the disciples. And it's also true for us. When we trust Jesus and his words as a source of life, we are cleaned. And this reminded me of a quite different old saying that maybe you've heard. Clean yourself up and come to God. Quit drinking, quit smoking, quit going with girls that do. No. Jesus says he does the cleaning up. And in effect, Jesus declares the gospel in short. Come as you are and be cleaned by him. We belong before we become. Because we are cleaned by his gospel word then, we then can be united with Jesus. We get to abide and he abides with us. And let's look at how Jesus continues this thought in verses four to six. Abide in me, And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, another meaning of the word 
uh, for abide here is to remain. And I like kind of using those interchangeably. So Jesus tells the now clean disciples to still remain close to the one that prunes. But because cleaning and pruning isn't finished, it isn't one time. The word must continually pierce and prune us. Remember, the word is living and active and sharper than a sword. It can do that. So we must remain close to the pruner and the pruning word. And the great news is, is we're not alone in this. Uh, right before this passage and right after, Jesus promises the disciples and us the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will teach you about my words and remind you of my words, his words. So we have help to continually be thinking, meditating, reflecting on the pruning word. The combo of this, Jesus, the source of life, the word and spirit will bring more fruit. So this is the sum of the benefits we've set up front. I know it's been a lot, but we, we bear more fruit by the pruning of the master vine dresser, and we are cleaned to abide in him. Then bearing more fruit, gaining more life, bringing God glory. What is our original human purpose? What were we created for? To flourish on earth to God's glory. Jump and look at verse 8. Jesus states, Bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this, my Father is glorified. And prove here doesn't mean a test, but a mark of our fruit-bearing connection. We belong, now we're becoming fruit bearers. One thing I grow every year in our garden is shishito peppers. And I can get 150 peppers off one plant if I'm taking care of it all season, pruning it, cleaning it, harvesting. But if I get lazy and I don't do any of this, probably only produce like 15 or 20 peppers. So if I, an amateur gardener, can increase fruit by tenfold, how much more can our infinitely wise God do with us? So applying all of this to our lives is, is overwhelming because it basically sums up the whole of the Christian life of sanctification. It's a lot. Uh, but I simply want us to think about how do we discern things that we're giving energy that need to be pruned? And one way we can start is read the Word, meditate on the Word, hear the Word taught, and ask for the Spirit's help and all that. And what's going to be really obvious by this are sin and idols. Uh, I could talk about how God has pruned my careless words over the years. I could also talk about how my pride has been pruned slowly and painfully over the years. Um, but I also want to talk about good things on our life can need pruning. Saying no to something in order to, to say yes to something better. From a very young age, my life, energy, identity has uh, been defined by an obsession with soccer. Uh, but I was painfully pruned through unfulfillment, depression, 
and redirection by God's word to let go of my obsession uh, with playing and being a fan of soccer. For me, saying no to soccer things allowed me to say yes to better things, more Jesus, more ministry, more life. Uh, Even two months ago, I realized that watching soccer was taking too much time and energy and attention for me. So I decided I'm just not allowed to watch soccer alone. If I want to watch, I have to watch with somebody else who wants to watch soccer, which means that I'm not watching any soccer. (laughs) Uh, All that pruning has truly been painful. it's not, it sounds silly to say it, but I like soccer a lot, and it's not a bad thing. Yet I'm grateful for how clearly uh, the pruning, it has brought more real fruit in my life. Now, wouldn't it be nice if there was like a time of year to practice this? Well, as Providence would have it, Lent starts this week. What's one purpose of Lent? Setting aside things fasting and repenting to focus energy on our need of Jesus for life. So all the more in this season, we can reflect on what may need to be pruned in my life. What may God already be pruning? What can I see there? And how is God trying to draw out more fruit, more life in me? So that is our longer first point, as I said. Then we have our second point, the consequences. So we looked at the benefits of pruning, the master vine dresser, being cleaned, abiding, all about bearing more fruit. But there are not only benefits in what Jesus says. There are also consequences that he presents as the true vine. And this next section is quickly going to get real. And I want us to read this section as an act of love. Warnings and directions can be an act of love. Uh, Ronnie set up really well last week about the difficult reality of exclusivity. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And he gave this great image of someone coming to us that's in urgent need of getting to the hospital. They're in their car, and you wouldn't respond to them like, oh, take any way to get to the hospital. That'll get you there. No. As we said, we don't act like Jesus is the only source of life. We don't think we need a hospital. We don't even think our non-Christian friends need the hospital. We wrongly think we're all pretty good, healthy people anyway. I mean, it's Denver. We're good people. We're good people. But we need to be warned of the real consequence, the real consequences. The stakes are high. And so to begin, I want to paint the picture of the desert planet of Dune, Arrakis. Who here has jumped on the Dune craze? Woo-woo! I just read the first two books this winter. Loved them. Haven't watched the movies yet. Wait until the next one comes out. Uh, If you're not familiar, just give me like 20 minutes to explain the backstory. (laughs) No. Uh, I just want to talk about the Fremen people in there that live in the desert and have learned to thrive there. They have this all-encompassing, obsessive focus on how to preserve water. They wake up 
thinking about how to preserve water. And they go to bed thinking about how to preserve water. Because if they don't, they lose their source of life and die. Uh, So they even have laws and religion around it because their community can't withstand if they don't collectively keep focus on their source of life. So every single Fremen understands and buys in to the high stakes. No one is exempt without consequences. And let's keep that in the back of our mind as we read some highlighted parts from verses 2, 4, and 6. So I'm going to jump, jump through these, so follow along. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Then verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withered, and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. These are heavy words, serious words, words that guide and warn. First, they guide that if there's no real fruit, there's no connection to Jesus. We may think we're fine, but we are starving and withering. We may think or want to do it on our own, but we can't. If Jesus is the only true source of life, then not remaining in Jesus cuts us off from life. It's a fair and clear warning that the stakes for life are high. So if you don't trust Jesus, if you don't continue to abide in his word, you don't produce fruit and love and obedience in your life, you are disconnected or you are faking your connection. And the only antidote is connection to Jesus by his word, by belief, by repentance, by obedience. We talked already about the inclusive offer to be cleaned. We don't do the heavy lifting. So the warning calls for action in that. There's choice involved. And to never connect or to not remain has consequences. The vine dresser God is merely clearing clearing out what doesn't want to be in the garden. Wild, disconnected branches don't belong. But again, any branch can be grafted in. It's an exclusive claim, but radical inclusivity. So as a middling seminary student, uh, I'm not an expert in all that it means to be cut off and burned, Uh, But I do have first-hand experience about rebellion. Uh, For all Christians, we start by admitting that we are by nature in rebellion to God. That's our natural inclination to be in rebellion without God's help. And C.S. Lewis Lewis, uh, describes this concept of rebellion in The Great Divorce. He says this, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Our natural rebellious will wants disconnection, wants independence from God. But it is the saddest thing in the world 
to get our own way spiritually because it means disconnection from the only true source of good in life. We are missing out on more life, on everlasting life. And so thinking about it in that way, I can appreciate the harshness of what Jesus says. We are invited to take it seriously. Otherwise, we will try to go our own way, to endlessly try to find other sources of life, to continually find no real lasting water and eventually be cut off from all water. This is what is at stake. This is a terrible consequence. So we'll move now to our third point in the blessings. So we've seen the benefits of the care we receive um, by the true vine to gain more life, to gain more fruit, and then the consequences of rejecting or disconnecting from that. And now we can examine the relational blessing of living into Jesus the vine in love and joy. Do we have any Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey fans in the house? It's got a long last name. <laughs> I am trying to get into audiobooks this year, and so I jumped in with his book, Green Lads. <laughs> Mainly, he retells a bunch of stories from his life, and one that stuck out to me is how he described his upbringing and parents. And he says, my parents didn't hope I followed the rules, they expected it. And at first, that may sound high, harsh or undesirable. But he describes how that guided him and how he experienced blessing because of that expectation. He knew he was loved and had caretakers. The relationship it formed was a blessing. And so, too, we should see Jesus' expectation and caretaking as a blessing of relationship because the relationship produces love and joy. <clears throat> so, this first part of the blessing of love. Um, let's look at verses 9 to 11 and see what Jesus says here. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Did we hear that? Jesus wants us to experience the Father's love in ongoing relationship, to remain in it by obedience, by trusting, by following. And we can see that first, Jesus established the relationship by the cleansing with his word. Then Jesus is saying he models the relationship as he is obedient and abides in the Father's love. And so he also wants us to invite in that, to enjoy this love in relationship. Now we must never forget that obedience is not optional for remaining and enjoying life in Jesus. My Hebrew professor constantly reminds us, constantly, that our faith is not transactional. It is not believe once and you're good to go. It is not a step of faith, but a walk of faith in relationship 
We walk in our new life, not abandon it. We belong, now we become, we bear the marks of his disciples and children. Establishing the relationship, as we've seen, is unconditional. But maintaining, enjoying the relationship is conditional, it is bounded. And this can often sound harsh to us, but I like this. Perfect obedience is the expectation, but it is not our reality as we know. And so in relationship, we are asked to remain close and return, to repent. We must have a disposition, an affection, a trust. It says, I'm going to falter, but I'm going to keep coming back for forgiveness for life and help to obey. This is not a free pass, but a way of living in the tension of the fallen world. So the relationship and guidance that we're talking about is a blessing because it creates an experience of love. Humans were made to share in this trinity of love by relationship. In the fall, it was corrupted and disconnected. But in God's story of redemption, he has given ways to restore this relationship. I mean, we've been seeing them. Among these, his law for flourishing, Jesus for redemption, and the Holy Spirit as our helper. We get to enjoy the love that comes from such a restored relationship as it was intended. We experience this free gift of sharing in this love. We just follow and abide. That is grace, a tremendous gift and blessing. And when we recognize that, it will produce joy. And that takes us to our final point in looking at the blessing of joy, emerging from this gift of relationship. But what is joy anyway? We often get it mixed up. It's not happiness or glee or even contentment. The real idea of joy is overflowing assurance and gratitude. Uh, the words for joy and grace in Greek <clears throat> are intricately tied, just like we talked about prune and clean are. And joy then is delight and gratefulness for God's gift of grace. Jesus enjoys following the ways of the Father in relationship. He delights in it as a gift. And Jesus simply wants the same for us. Jesus wants us to experience the grateful, joyful life in fellowship with the Father and Spirit. Uh, and the idea, the picture is like a child who says, I am loved, I am cared for. Hear these words of Jesus just before in John 14, 14 18, that he said to the disciples just moments ago, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is what we are offered, an anchor and joy of God's gift of restored relationship. This is life with Jesus the vine. This is all a great blessing. So we will now conclude, and we've looked at Jesus the vine, the many benefits of fruit, <clears throat> the blessings and encouragement we need to have more life and the consequences of not having the life Jesus offered. If this is felt abstract as a metaphor or you've zoned out, I want you to hear me now. 
We're going to end with how Jesus enacts and completes this image in his death. I've mentioned the invitation or the idea of grafting several times. And part of what's so significant about it is how it happens. Because it's more than just pruning and cultivating. The Father has grafted us Christians into Jesus and radically invites anyone to be grafted in. But do you all know how grafting works? So you have a main tree or a living vine, living tree or living vine, and you want to take a single branch and attach it. The main tree has to be cut and exposed and opened. Then the branch is forcefully pressed in and strapped tightly because the branch is dead on its own and brings nothing. It doesn't have any roots to hold on or dig in. It doesn't bring any life on its own. The branch can only take life. It needs help to grow into the living tree. So like a tree, we can see Jesus planted on the cross, and he is scarred, cut, exposed, opened. The tree pays a heavy toll to accept new branches. Jesus endures this violence and sacrifice for our benefit and blessing to enter into the joy of relationship with God. Jesus conquered death by giving up his life. Jesus was pruned, saying no to his life, to say yes to something better for us. And he alone is able to continually supply life because of that. He trusted the Father and obeyed. And Jesus invites everyone to share in his death by faith, to receive eternal life. Simply trust him and walk with him. And I love this. We can see this so clearly earlier in John 6. As Jesus is teaching a crowd that any person who wants eternal life must partake of his death. He's getting at this idea of faith and he says, you're going to need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. But a, lot of, a ton of people turn away at this. It's a hard saying, as the disciples say. But in contrast, what does Simon Peter say? Where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Simon Peter, even then, began to understand that Jesus and his words were the only true source of life. And indeed, Jesus is the only true source of life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, our source of life, uh, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the encouragement and life that it brings, for all the ways that it shapes us and forms us to have more life. Jesus, we confess that it can feel so difficult at times, that we can feel so drawn by other things. But we want more of you. We want more of this fruit that we long for, to be more than we are. Please help us by your spirit. Sharpen us by your word. And help us to do it together as a community, clinging in the desert uh, in this fallen world until you come again.
We thank you for this morning to worship, and we thank you for your great sacrifice. It's in your name we pray. Amen.